Well, good morning, Fellowship Church and guests. Uh, so glad you're here. My name is Brad. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors at Fellowship Church, and I lead the teaching here at our campus. So glad that you're here. A lot going on today. I uh, appreciate Matt uh, Schuneman for leading us so well. Good to have Matt and Emily back. Yeah, you guys can uh, give Matt a hand. It's always great to have Matt and Emily and little Theo Although we probably don't really call Theo Little. If you know the Flintstones, he's more like Bam Bam. But uh, good to have you guys. Uh, one of the reasons Matt is uh, playing with us, Matt's part of our worship ministry, but Casey Roberts, who is our worship pastor, is helping train our next campuses, our next church's worship team this morning. So he's coaching and, and mentoring them, and they're preparing to launch. Uh, this fall, we'll launch our fourth uh, fellowship church in uh, the North Shore community and hopefully over the next uh, year uh, or so launch number five and six as well. So you guys are a part of that. Uh, just also this morning, I just want to say thank you and just kind of brag on you for a second. Uh, this morning as I was uh, driving in, in the rain, I drove in and I saw all of these uh, signs pointing to fellowship in the rain. And uh, you may or may not know this, but there's a big trailer that uh, we have volunteers hook up to a truck and they drive it to Fellowship Church. And uh, in the rain this morning, they unloaded the trailer and set up a children's ministry area for about 75 to 100 kids over here. And a worship team did the same. So just, uh, just so grateful for you guys. You're willing to sacrifice, you're willing to labor and do this thing together. So uh, it's Baptism Sunday. We're going to dive right into the message today. Now, sometimes when you hear a sermon, it takes a while for you to chance to apply that sermon, to put it into practice. That's not going to be the case today. We're going to talk about Christian baptism, believer's baptism, and then after the service today, we are going to go out to the sidewalk where an agricultural feed trough has been filled up with water uh, through a camping propane-heated shower, because that's how you do it when you plant a church, because that's how we roll here at Fellowship Pellissippi, and we're going to celebrate baptism. So people are going to either participate in baptism, or you're going to gather around them as they declare their allegiance to Jesus and, and celebrate with them. Now, now, before we jump in to the sermon on baptism, I want to address a couple of things that might be going on right now in your head. Some of you may be thinking, are you serious? An entire sermon just on baptism? Like, isn't there something more practical? Like, maybe a sermon on how to have more courage in hard times, or how to manage your money well, or parenting. Like, anything more practical would be helpful, Brad. So, so let me help, help you out with that, if you're kind of wrestling with that, if you're worrying about that. Uh, two weeks ago, like most churches across the world, we celebrated Easter, and we celebrated the resurrection, and we talked about the fact that uh, that was the defining weekend of all of history, where Christ dies, Good Friday, we celebrate, uh, or at least commemorate and lean into the fact that Jesus dies for our sins, and then we, we get excited on Sunday because he comes out of the grave, and he changes the course of human history. Now, last week, Kyle was teaching here, and he unpacked for us the events that happened after the resurrection. Now, sometimes Easter Sunday goes, and we go resurrection, and then we stop there. But there's a lot of things that happen after the resurrection. And Kyle talked about the fact that Jesus gathers all of his followers into a room. And some of his followers, some of his closest friends, they came, and they came with a great deal of shame. They had run away from Jesus. Some came uh, skeptical. Like they heard word that they thought the women who were saying, come, Jesus is alive, or probably lost their mind, but they came anyway. And all of a sudden, Jesus is in the room with them, and Jesus says, listen to me. 
Now, I want to let you know something that you can, you can know with great confidence in that moment. None of the disciples were flipping through their Instagram feed or their Facebook feed. Peter is not waiting for a chance to get to say something. Nobody is looking at their watch. Their eyes and their focus is glued on Jesus as they have realized, oh my gosh, he did exactly what he said he was going to do. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them all the things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now here's the point. If after the resurrection, Jesus grabs his closest friends into a room and he gives them these kind of final words, these momentous, this is what I'm passing on to you. This is the whole purpose. Like the, the future of Christianity, the church begins to hang on the balance of these moments. You can, uh, you can know for sure that not only are these words important, but they are actually very practical too. Now, there's others in the room, though. You hear an entire sermon on baptism, you get a little giddy. Like, you're the person who Wikipedia's throughout a movie while you're watching the movie. You just love knowledge. You love to learn. You want to know all these things. I, I would also remind those of us in that camp that what we'll see today is baptism is more than just mere theology. It's more than just understanding something about how God works in the church or what the scripture says. But it is actually very personal, practical peace that is at the heart of what being a Christian is all about and at the heart of what being a church is all about. So no matter where we're at today, no matter what tradition you came from or tradition you didn't come from, I pray that today will be super helpful in helping us know, love, and follow Jesus more deeply. Now, if you've been here for a while, you probably know I'm not a traditional preacher. I rarely have three points. I usually have one point and work really hard to say that one point in 30 to 35 minutes. But I've got three points today. Now, don't panic. That does not mean a 90-minute sermon, all right? So we're going to jump right in. I'm going to give you all three points right out of the gate, and then we're going to unpack them. So here are our three points today regarding baptism. Number one, what is baptism? Just a defining understanding of what is baptism as we see it in the Scripture. Why baptism is not essential to be a Christian or to become a Christian. And then number three, why baptism is essential to being Christian. So let's dive in, first of all, with this question, what is baptism? Now here is a definition after kind of looking at a lot of other definitions, kind of here's a Brad's put together definition. Baptism is the outward expression of an inward experience of repentance from sin and saving faith in Jesus Christ. When you see baptism, as you'll see it today, you'll see a person in the tub uh, upright, representing Christ died, and then into the water, Christ buried, and then back out of the water, Christ risen again. It is a picture of the gospel story, but it's not just a picture of the gospel story, but it's a picture of what's happening in the gospel, that we, like Christ, die to our sin. We've repented of our sin, and through the power of the work of God in our life, we're dead to our sin. It is buried. Jesus cleanses us from all of our sin. His blood washes us clean, and then we raise to newness of life, just like Jesus. His resurrection is connected to us. We are raised 
raised in Christ as new creatures. That's why we baptize the way we do. Our mode of baptism is uh, rooted in what we see in the scriptures, in the word baptism, which means baptizo, which means to submerge or to immerse. And uh, we, we do that because we see not only the, what the word means, but the picture of what we see in Jesus. Now, some of you may have a couple of questions because you know other Christian traditions like our Presbyterian brothers and sisters might not baptize the same we do. Uh, now, they, it is not because they don't love Jesus or they don't take the scriptures seriously. They're brothers and sisters. They, and I don't have time to explain all this, but they understand covenant theology is this blessing that when you saw in the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, that circumcision was a sign of God's covenant love, of God's covenant promise from generation to generation, that in the New Testament, that became baptism. And so when, they, when you see an infant baptism in a Presbyterian church, most Orthodox Presbyterian churches are not saying that this is saving, but rather this is the covenant blessing going from one family to the next. And we don't necessarily agree with that, and so we say that baptism is a believer's experience, but that's one of the reasons you see those two things. So to kind of illustrate a little bit more of what baptism is, to kind of, for those of you who are visual learners, I brought a few jerseys with me to kind of help unpack this a little bit. So if I were to hold this jersey up, um, of what team is this uh, connected to? Cincinnati Reds. All right. Thank you, Judy. Appreciate you being bold there. My Cincinnati Reds fan. Uh, my daughter also plays for the CBFO Reds, which ironically are very much better than the actual Cincinnati Reds this year, who have won one game. Um, some of you guys are soccer fans and, you know, evidence that God loves us all. Um, just kidding. <laughs> Kyle's not in here. I can say that. So uh, team what? Team USA, all right, yeah, Team America, Team USA, red, white, and blue. Uh, I hear this guy is a really good soccer player, all right. Uh, now, some of you all recognize this one right here, all right, all right. What team are we looking at here? Yep, yep, and who wore this number? I don't even have to show you the back of it. Say it, come on. Thank you, all right. Uh, one last jersey, let me put it up on the screen for you, all right. How, how many of you know what team this is? All right, you laugh because you know, Jonathan, what team is that? The Tennessee Vols. Uh, let me tell you how familiar you are with the Tennessee Vols. What is our primary worship song? Rocky Top. Uh, our patron saint who wore number 16, he was, yeah. You know what's amazing? You gather 100,000 people to worship on Saturday at the foot of the Tennessee Vols, and uh, they don't, you don't even the order of service. We all know the liturgy. As the kickoff prepares, everybody begins to go, oh. You know, we know it. You know it. You know what? Because for the majority of those of you who are at least native Knoxvillians, Tennesseans, you're in Knoxville, maybe you're a transplant, but you just embraced the infectious nature of the virus that is Tennessee Orange. <laughs> it's your team. It's your colors. It's where your allegiance is. And that's why even when we stink, and let's be honest, the recent years, we don't care. We are going to bleed Tennessee orange, go Vols. We might lose six games, but I will still wear my Tennessee polo, my Tennessee hat all around town because that's my team. That's the, that, those are my colors. That's who I have allegiance to. Baptism is our public way of saying, Jesus, the gospel is my team. The church is my team, and I am jumping on board to proclaim my allegiance is here. Now, there's two primary era, errors that I think that we sometimes fall into 
when we think about baptism. Uh, Error number one that people often make in thinking about baptism is to think that baptism, the actual act of going into the water, has saving power itself. That somehow or another, that you go into the holy water and you come back up, and that it has some regeneration process and the person's saved. Uh, The other error that we often make when we think about baptism is to actually consider it like as some sort of optional thing for Christians, like it's not a big deal. And I think sometimes the motives for that are genuine and are right. Like uh, for those of us who really believe that the gospel is the work of grace alone through no human effort, we don't want in any way for there to be human effort confused. And so baptism might uh, feel like a work of righteousness to some, so we kind of downplay it. But both of those are errors. So that's where kind of our next couple of points are going to come. Why, number two, I want to I show us today why baptism is not essential to become a Christian. When you read uh, the book of Acts, which is literally the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the New Testament church, the history, the unfolding of God's church, we see that, bapt- that, that salvation... And when we talk about salvation, here's what we're talking about. We're talking about the repentance of sin and faith in the saving grace of God through the work that Jesus did on the cross where he shed his blood to pay for our sin, but he didn't stay dead. He came out of the grave in victory over that. Faith and confidence and trust that that is the saving work um, of God in our life. Salvation and baptism are inseparably connected all the way through the beginning of the church. Now what I'm going to do, I don't expect you to try to find, follow along in your iPads or in your Bibles. I'm just going to blitz through the book of Acts and show you how baptism and salvation are so connected. In Acts chapter 2, uh, what we know as Pentecost, I mean, Peter, the one who had denied Jesus, is now preaching as boldly as a lion, and he is proclaiming the gospel to anyone who can listen. And you hear, read this in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said to them, and he said to an audience filled with people who were responsible for murdering Jesus, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 41, so those who received his word, that is, they believed it. They said, yes, that gospel is true. They were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. I mean, you're talking about a revival has broke out. Now, the circumstances here are pretty extraordinary. Not only is the Holy Spirit at work, but Peter's talking to an audience like, yeah, 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 my cousin saw Jesus. He was one of those 500 people that were over there. Hey, my brother was one of the 70 that saw Jesus. So there, there, there is some serious weightiness to what's going on. You know this gospel's true. You need to believe now. And the Holy Spirit does work and they're baptized. In chapter 8, something significant happens. The gospel is beginning to leave Jerusalem and it's going across racial barriers to Samaritans. Verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 12 But when they, the they is a group of Samaritans hearing the gospel, believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. A little later on, uh, for those of you who are familiar with the the, uh, Ethiopian eunuch, Philip is there. He's running alongside the chariot. The Ethiopian eunuch is trying to understand the book of Isaiah, particularly chapter 53. I mean, the gospel Uh, in the Old Testament, and he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. You get to chapter 9, there's this guy Saul, who had been a persecutor, right? 
And the word the Lord speaks to him, he falls off his animal. And he goes into town to listen to the words of Ananias, verse 18. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose, and he was baptized. Chapter 16, uh, the genesis of the church at Philippi. So when you read the New Testament book of Philippians, here's the genesis of it. It begins with these women. One uh, who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful, Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Get to the end of chapter 16 and verse 31. You have this scene where there is a jailer who begins to lose his mind. God shakes the jail, frees the prisoners. Um, and the jailer knows that his life is in danger. And these Christians, mauling what it was to seek the welfare of others more than themselves, say, whoa, whoa, whoa don't, don't freak out. God's doing this. And they began to preach the gospel to him. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And they took the, them the same hour of the night and they washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. I don't have time to preach that, but that is such an awesome story that happens in the book of Acts. Here's a bunch of wounded Christians who have visible wounds, and they get their wounds bandaged up, and then they go baptize the ones who gave them the wounds. It's the power of the gospel at work. Uh, chapter 18, Crispus, ruler of the synagogue, has a lot of mistake, but he believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed, and because they believed, they were baptized. So you see, all throughout the New Testament, salvation and baptism are absolutely connected, but while the Bible never separates baptism from saving faith, it does distinguish it from saving faith. Let me give you a couple more examples that kind of really articulate this well for us. So in Acts chapter 10, it's, a, it's a, a significant moment in the life of the church, in the history of Christianity. The gospel leaves the, gen, uh, the Jews, and all of a sudden, they see that God is also saving Gentiles. Now, for us, we're like, of course he does. But this was such a big deal. And so you've got Cornelius, a Roman centurion, a highly esteemed non-Jewish man who is listening to Peter Explain the gospel, Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Here's what happens. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. The Spirit is doing the work. They're hearing the gospel. The Spirit's speaking. And the believers from among the circumcised, that's the ESV's way of saying it, from among the Jewish people who had come with Peter were amazed. I mean, they're stunned. This is their homogenous, single racial viewpoint. They're racists, all right, like we often are. They're stunned. Oh, my goodness. The, the Spirit of God is working amongst the Gentiles. They, they are believing in God. They were hearing and speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, who 
Can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Notice, it's not like, hey, we need to baptize them so that they'll receive the Holy Spirit so that their conversion will become true. No, they are converted. They are no longer walking as Roman pagans. They're giving worship and praise to our God. The Spirit's done this work. Man, we should allow them to be baptized. Verse 48, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain there for some days. All throughout the New Testament, or throughout the epistles, the Apostle Paul, particularly in Romans, Ephesians, and Galatians, could not be more clear that salvation is a means of grace. There's no work. It is by the grace of God through faith alone. But he doesn't denigrate baptism. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 6, Paul uses baptism as the metaphor that it is to explain the work of the gospel in the heart of a believer. So here's what Romans chapter 6 says. Verse 1 says, now the context here, Romans 6, is Romans 5. There is no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. Salvation is a means of God's work. God loved us so much, he demonstrated his love so that you could know Jesus and be saved. It is no works. There's nothing you can do about it. And, of course, the pushback is, well, I mean, if all I have to do is believe, and I don't have to keep these works of the law, and I don't have to be circumcised, I don't have to do all these things. I mean, it, doesn't it just create this sort of easy believism thing? And Paul comes to chapter 6 and he says what shall we say then are we to continue in sin that grace may abound so it's by grace you just do whatever you want to Paul says by no means the King James Version says God forbid like if you're thinking that way you are not understanding the gospel how can we who die to sin live in it still do you know do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death we're buried, therefore, with him by baptism and death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness life. What Paul's saying is, is that baptism is meant to function as a visible sign, not only to the person being baptized, but to the entire Christian community who is watching it, that Christ has conquered sin and death, and in it we do as well. One last note on this, because one of the more confusing passages about baptism as it relates to salvation happens in 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, particularly if you grew up and you used uh, uh, the King James Version of the Bible, I'll show you how the wordplay can make it seem like baptism does say. So here's what 1 Peter 3 says. Peter's actually making the exact same point that Paul was in Romans 6, verse 18 for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. There is the gospel in one sentence. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, so he begins to go back to the Genesis chapter 6. And the story of Noah begins to see, show, connect the metaphors of God's judgment here. Uh, back in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, Noah's family, were brought safely through water. The old King James said they were saved by water. Now, if you and I were Englishmen or Englishwomen, like Jackie is, we would understand that the word by is not describing the means by which one was saved. But like the ESV is saying, it's through it. It's came, you came through it. Like you went by my house. You went, you went through it, you went on past it. So they were brought through the water. And then here's what Peter says. Baptism, 
which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, is at the right hand of God with the angels, authorities, and powers having been ejected him. When you look at what's happening there in that passage, Paul, Peter is saying, similar to what Paul said, is that baptism gives you a picture of the judgment of God and, God and Jesus' victory through that judgment. That in baptism, all the sins of the world are placed on God, and he goes into the tomb, and he bears that judgment, but he comes up out of that as victorious. Matter of fact, uh, Jesus referenced this illustration back in our Mark study, in Mark chapter 10. If you were to go back to Mark 10, 38, Jesus says to his disciples, listen, guys, you just don't understand the cup that I'm about to drink, nor the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with. And Jesus was referencing this judgment for sin that was going to come upon him, but then his resurrection is the victory for it. One last thought on that particularly that phrase, eight souls were saved by water. That can be confusing. I remember having conversations with people about, does baptize save? What well, says right here, they're saved by water. Well, when you think about the metaphor, he's talking about Noah and his family, right? <clears throat> and what were Noah and his family in, in flood? Participate. They were in a ark, big boat. So were they saved because they went into the water or because they avoided the water? You know the answer. Come on. This is not your question. They avoided the water. So, so the, 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 the whole analogy breaks down. It was judgment they were saved from. All right, let me bring us to a conclusion. <clears throat> and talk a little bit about why baptism, though isn't essential to become a Christian, is essential to being Christian. F.F. F. Bruce is, an, is a New Testament scholar. He says this, the idea of an unbaptized Christian is simply not entertained in the New Testament. We saw that throughout the book of Acts. It was just, boom, it's immediately, all right, you're a follower of Jesus, then put the jersey on, get baptized. Baptism is the first step in following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It is your public declaration of a new allegiance. It is you saying, I once was a part of this world's kingdom, but now I am a part of this kingdom, and I am unashamed to tell the whole world baptizing or, or being a Christian and not being baptized is a bit like saying, I want to have a wedding but not have any vows. Now, if you and I went to a wedding and there were no vows, we would say that like, there was something amiss. Like the whole point of the wedding ceremony is to get at the vows. Now, I know today we spend $30,000 or so on photography and flowers and all sorts of things that go on, but really the whole part of the wedding that is the purpose that we're there for, is to see the exchange of the vows. Now, I know this metaphor breaks down a bit, and baptism is not exactly like a wedding, but the, the notion of being a Christian, but not putting on the jersey, not proclaiming to the world King Jesus through bapti baptism, doesn't even register in, in the scripture. Uh, oh, I think one other way to help us understand this is to think outside of our traditional Western Christian context. So uh, Roger and Jackie and Ryan and Laura are members uh, here in our church who spent a number of years on the mission field as mission missionaries in decidedly non-Christian context. We are in a, I, I know there's a, a secularization and consumerization in America, but we are in a very decidedly Christian context as opposed to maybe a, a, a predominant Muslim context or or whatever it might be. 
And so I asked earlier this week, like on Monday or so, uh, Roger and Ryan, hey, describe to me what baptism meant in your ministry on the mission field. And here's, here's what they told me. They said that a baptism meant taking a big social risk. If you're in a decidedly non-Christian community, baptism, declaring Jesus as Savior, might be a, a significant social risk, but it meant that you were serious. It meant that your life had truly been changed by Jesus. He was, in fact, Lord. And in some respects, baptism was the test of true, authentic conversion. Like, that was a huge deal. It was a big deal to be baptized. I think there actually is a similarity here in the U.S. as I thought more about it. You know, statistically, we're seeing fewer and fewer adults baptized here in the country. And there, there's a variable reasons for that. But I think one of the reasons might be that to be baptized as an adult in a predominantly Christian context can be embarrassing. can be awkward. Um... You're worried, if you're a Christian, you've not been baptized, that might, people might say, oh, oh, you hadn't been baptized before? Oh, oh you, you weren't a Christian? And it can feel a little bit like you're the outsider. And in the same way, it takes a lot of courage in Bangladesh or in parts of Asia to say, I believe Jesus died for my sins, rose again, and I put my faith in him, and I am on team Jesus it might take the same kind of courage for you today to say, you know what, I'm a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus. I have repented of my sins and I have placed my saving faith in Jesus Christ, but I have never actually been baptized after that decision, after that conversion. It might take a lot of courage for you to be baptized today. So the question is, I think maybe for some of us here today, maybe you're in that situation. You are Christian. You're participating in our church. But as an adult, you've never been baptized. The question might be, am I willing to obey God? Am I willing to follow Jesus all the way to the extent of wearing the jersey? Maybe today would be the day that you would put on the jersey. Like the Ethiopian man in the chariot, Philip proclaimed the gospel to him, and the Ethiopian said, can I get baptized right now? They found water, and immediately he said, I am going to obey, and I'm going to be baptized, and I'm going to put my allegiance with Jesus. Now, today you can do that, and we've actually tried to remove some of the barriers. Some of you may hear that, and you may think, you know what? The Spirit's speaking to me, and he's right. I am a Christian, but I've never been baptized as a Christian believer. Maybe you're baptized as a kid. Maybe you're baptized before your conversion. But I've never been baptized as a Christian believer. And uh, I'm not ready to be baptized today. I don't have any clothes with me. I don't, I'm not prepared for it. Uh, well, it could be a radical step to just say, you know what? I'll just go home wet and change my clothes. But to, to try to be more thoughtful than that, we prepared ahead of time. And we went to Walmart and bought all sizes of men's and women's shorts, t-shirts, undergarments, everything, so that there would be nothing that could stand in the way of your obedience to Jesus. So when we conclude the service today, if you're like, you know what? And we have towels, all right? We've got everything you need. Place to change. We're set. 
I, I, I would say to you, what hinders you now from being baptized? A book of Acts moment right now. What hinders you now from being baptized? What would keep you today from saying, I'm all in with Jesus? We'll even video it and you can show your friends, you can celebrate. What would keep you from being baptized today? I would encourage you today, if that's you, that you have a really great example to follow. His name was Jesus. If anyone could have stepped onto planet Earth and said, I really don't need to be baptized, it would have been the one who breathed the water into the lake that he got baptized in. But Jesus, the Son of God, humbled himself, allowed himself to be baptized by a human man in obedience to the Father's work models and shows for us a way of what it is to follow after God with all of our hearts. Maybe today, like Jesus, you would follow suit and be baptized as well. One last consideration on why baptism is necessary to being Christian is that when you look through the New Testament, book of Acts, all the epistles, baptism is directly associating, connected with the covenant covenant membership with the church. In other words, baptism is not just, it is primarily Team Jesus, uh, public outward expression of something that's happening inside of us in regards to salvation with God. But it is also us saying, I am going to become a part of the church. Now I want you to consider the beauty of that. I want you to consider the beauty and the wisdom of God to say, you want to know how you join our team? You want to know how you join our club? It has nothing to do with how much money you make. It has nothing to do with the community you live in. It has nothing to do with your socioeconomic status. It has nothing to do with your race. It has nothing to do with your gender. It has nothing to do with who your dad was or your connectedness in society. It has nothing to do with your performance. It has everything to do with Jesus. That the door to get into the church is not made by a man. The door to get into the church is Jesus. And Jesus says, put on my jersey and you're in. That is the beauty of baptism is to say, here, I'm going to be a part of this. And so when we baptize people, we don't baptize perfect people. We baptize people who have claimed Jesus' righteousness for their own. And Jesus said, all can come to me. All can come to me. So today, we're going to celebrate baptism. We're excited to celebrate. We have uh, a handful of people who are going to get baptism, baptized. We're going to see their testimonies. And we would love to celebrate with anyone else who's ready to take that step of obedience as well. But I, I think I would be remiss to not point out that maybe there are some here today who need to take that first step and you need to put your saving faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been coming to church. Maybe you've been trying to be better. What we saw as we read through all of those passages in Acts was no matter who you were, a Roman centurion, a woman who was good at making clothes, if you were a group of fishermen, that the Spirit of God would speak, they would hear the gospel, and they would open their hearts up, and they would just believe, and they would say, yes, I believe that, I trust that, I put my faith in that. 
And so maybe you've come today as a guest of someone who's going to be baptized, and you're here to cheer them on. We're honored that you're here. Maybe you've been hanging out with us here for a couple of years, but you've never really said, you know what? Okay, Jesus, I'm going to repent of my sins. I'm going to turn my back on this kingdom, and I'm going to turn my heart to your kingdom. I'm yours. We would encourage you and say, we want to walk that step with you today. We want to walk that with you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so grateful for your love and mercy. So grateful that your invitation is one that is made possible not by our worthiness, not by our standing, not by our status, but it is made possible by the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses all sin and makes all men and women, all races, all tongues, all tribes eligible for the kingdom of God. And Spirit of God, in the same way as you did 2,000 years ago when Peter preached and he said, repent, believe, and be baptized. Lord, we say it today. Repent, believe, and be baptized. Holy Spirit, would you do in the hearts of men and women today what only you can do? In Jesus' name, amen.